Chapter 1 The Puppeteer Stories 1899 Lunwa Rajasthan The mutiny of 1857 had flung its burning embers all over India. Even decades after it had erupted and had seemingly been resolved, and perhaps the country had recovered from the brunt of the unrest, some villages in the receding shadows of their princely protection continued to smolder ever so slowly. Riots continued, some were bloodier than others, but when the strife blurred the lines between community, religion and the company, it left horrific scars on all caught in its crossfire. The desert state of Rajasthan was no different. Many kingdoms within its proud borders had suffered. Several smaller kingdoms chose to become princely states, while others were absorbed into the British Raj. The new Rajputana Railways opened up the region in 1876, bringing new people to the princely state of Sirohi, and with it, unexpected changes. Sheltered by the generosity of the royal families of both Sirohi and Udaipur, the village of Lunwa had remained protected. This small, God-fearing, walled village, or Wada, had enjoyed the privilege of participating in many festivities and celebrations of both kingdoms. If the Maharana of Udaipur was not hosting a celebration to honour his wives or daughter, the Rao of Sirohi was making plans to honour a deity, a travelling holy man or a scholar. If the people of Lunwan were not headed to one fair eastward towards Udaipur, they were planning for a communal visit to the Durga temples of Mount Abu or the Dilwara temples to the west. It was a trouble-free community. This went on for many years until everything changed one day in 1899. That March day started like every other. The festival of Holi was around the corner and the women were eager to begin preparations for the annual Gangaur celebrations. This festival seemingly humanized two gods in the form of two dolls. Shiva became the male doll, Gana, while his wife and consort, Gauri or Parvati became the second doll, Gaur. The women celebrated their love and devotion as their own. Women were planning their feasts and fasts and were setting time aside to don their gagras and embellish their ordnies, hoping that their penance and prayers during the celebration would bestow long marriages and faithful spouses upon them. Childlike wonder and faith emerged in every woman for this festival. But something was amiss that morning. The birds were quieter than usual. A little after the cool dew had evaporated and the men had headed out to the Bajra fields, loud screams pierced through the walls of the Wada. A few women returning from the village well stopped in their tracks to see a young boy with a slightly bloodied head running towards them, away from the fields, his feet kicking up sand and dirt and dust behind him. He was screaming. The thieves are here, Motiba, thieves! His young voice crackled and ripped through his throat. Today was different. Motiba heard the commotion and signaled her 14-year-old granddaughter, Johari, to set down her chores and go indoors. She was to see if the embers in their little mud-baked stove had cooled into ashes for scrubbing their breakfast utensils. Their little hut was a safe place, sheltered within the Vada. The single room served as a place to sleep or cook. The stoop was where anyone who was visiting would sit. 
The walls of the hut were made of mud and straw. It kept them cool in the summer and kept out the winds at night. It was a simple hut for them. They had made a buttery char that morning with fresh milk from their water buffaloes and warmed up last night's rotlas on a tawdi or a shallow fry pan for breakfast that morning. Johari's shallow bowl or a tohulu was smaller than Motiba's but it held many things her breakfast, lunch, or her dinner. Their meals were rustic, simple, essential, and served in these bell metal utensils that shone like liquid gold when scrubbed clean with the ashes from the stove. Johari would have to wait a little. The ashes were still warm. Motiba was certain that this little howling devil had decided to play another prank on the unsuspecting women in the Vada. When it was only the traveling Kavaria Bhatt or the wandering storyteller making his stop, these were Johari's favorite visitors. The gypsy-like Kavaria Bhatts came to their village, often carrying with them small magical boxes called cupboards. Each Kavaria Bhatt was different and their stories as unique as their cupboards that unfolded stories of Krishna's youth or from the epics of Ramayana or Mahabharata or the relatively modern tales of the poet Saint Mirabai, who was once a local princess. Some bats brought puppets, others brought musical instruments. The entire village would gather to hear the Kavadiya Bhats tell their stories well into the night. Motiba decided she was going to set this prankster straight once and for all. Grabbing her old knotted stick from the doorway, she walked on, muttering to herself, Wretched boy, Today, he shall see who the real thief is. The stick came from a tamarind tree from her own parents' home beyond Sarohi. It was as reliable as it was respected and feared by the villagers. Johari snickered under her breath, knowing that the poor boy was in trouble. She hoped that today's Kavadiya Bhatt had brought her a cover to tell the story of Mirabai, her favorite princess saint, and sing some beautiful poetry along with her devotion to her soulmate, Lord Krishna. Everyone in the village respectfully addressed Johari Ba's mother as Motiba or Elder Mother. She was the village matron, the oldest in the village. Once known as Jonaba, she was a stunningly tall beauty with dark eyes and a dark complexion to match. In her youth, her hair was long and always hidden beneath colorful knees. Beautiful jewelry hung from her ears and neck, her wrists were often decked with colorful glass bangles, and her palms were soft and mottled from the frequent applications of henna. One year she had caught the eye of a young farmer, Duni, at a wedding fair. Duni was smitten with her. They were married at the next wedding fair the following year. Communal wedding fairs were a common occurrence. Several villages agreed on an auspicious date found a host village with a suitably sized temple and invited eligible young men and women from nearby with their families. This was a place for families to unite over matrimony and attracted holy men and palm readers, merchants of all types selling curios and trinkets to eager buyers and curious women and portly old men who enjoyed people watching, cartwheels and rides. It was a convenient event Though sometimes chaotic, it attracted many. 
Jonaba's fierce temperament was an attractive trait to Dhuni, as she ruled his heart and household with finesse and charm. She had spent many years watching her sisters and learned how to make her own words count. Dhuni realized he wanted to give Jonaba more, and so in exchange for a steady income, he went to serve in the company as a sepoy. He entrusted his two-acre bajra field in the care of his village elders, hoping they would watch over it and his young family in his absence. He would claim it all back when he returned. As he walked away from Lunwa to join the company, Jonaba held their firstborn, Natu, on her hips. In her heart, believing that Dhuni would return before long. With Dhuni gone, the colours from Jonaba's life slowly but surely began to drain. For some time, the village elders watched over her and Natu, occasionally bringing her a portion of the harvest and sometimes helping her with chores. She would get word that Dhuni was travelling across Rajasthan. But one afternoon, a few years after Dhuni had first left, word came that the young man was caught in the crossfire of the Alvar, Alvar unrest, a region just north and east of Jaipur where the Naraukas were struggling for territories. He was never returning home. The year was 1872.